six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take it to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. No change without struggle. No one in power ain't giving up nothing. No change without struggle. No one in power. WORT 89.9 FM Listener Sponsored Community Radio Madison, Wisconsin And hello, welcome to a public affair. I am Esti Dinur. As of yesterday, the death toll in Gaza has now topped 12,000, including more than 4,300 children and 2,800 women. One Palestinian child is killed every 10 minutes. More than 2,300 people are missing and believed to be buried under destroyed buildings. 18 of the 35 hospitals in Gaza are now out of service due to the lack of electricity and fuel for the backup generators. Supplies of water, food, medicine and fuel have been cut off for 33 days. More ordnance has been rained on Gaza than on Hiroshima. 1,400 people have been killed in Israel and more than 200 taken hostage. At least 39 journalists and media workers have been killed. There have been massive Palestinian solidarity rallies internationally calling for a ceasefire, including 300,000 last week in Washington, D.C. There will be one in Chicago um, taken by Jewish Voice for Peace on Monday. To discuss that and other things and uh, mainly... Can we still hope for peace? We have two guests with us. They are both members of Combatants for Peace. Mai Shaheen is a Palestinian therapist and peace activist. She lives in East Jerusalem, which in, in the area of Azaria, which is part of the West Bank, and she can explain that to us. She's a mother to um, 12-year-old Lily Aram. And also with us is Israeli Yair Bansel, born in Israel in 62, married with three grown-up boys. He served in the IDF as an infantry officer, including a first Lebanon war and the first Intifada. He joined Combatants for Peace six years ago, and most of his activities with Palestinian shepherds in the Jordan Valley, where there's also a lot of strife, and uh, he can tell us about that, or both of them probably. Hello, th- um, Mai and Yair, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, especially at 8 p.m. on Friday evening. I really appreciate that. Um, Let's start with the question of just how hard is it to be a combatant for peace right now? And and Mai, why don't you start? Hello, good evening. Thank you so much for inviting us and allowing a shared voice to be heard. Uh, How hard... You know, I hear the question and it's even crazy that we ask or we even think that it's hard to bring something that is so natural, that is so human, to ask for peace, to ask for freedom, to ask for blood, to stab, for people to go home. It is hard to stand in the midst of war and say, please come together. But I think, again, the easiest voice to follow is our natural inner human voice that says together and only together. And yeah, with all the noises, I would say it is much easier to to hear this voice that says only together, Mm -hmm. at least for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it's kind of, uh, <clears throat> it's kind of, uh, I don't know, strange for me to say that it's hard. Uh, in the middle of the war, people are losing their lives. Um, many people don't know what happened, what will happen to them tonight if they will see sunrise tomorrow. 
many people are don't have information about their loved ones so calling for peace is is uh, is an obligation is the only thing that people can do in order to stop this uh, madness so oh yeah comparing, comparing to to the suffering of war it's really it's not something that is worth uh, mentioning yeah okay well thank you for that um what what are your um what were your journeys that led you to becoming a member of combatants for peace uh my let's start with you again i personally i am born to a family uh, that my mother comes from an east jerusalem family so she is a holder of a jerusalem citizenship a blue id uh, and my father is a palestinian from the west bank we grew up in azaria which is 20 minutes walk to my grandparents house in ras al-amud and i am born to the first intifada a teenager of the second intifada a witnesser of the failure of the peace process the oslo agreement a witnesser of the separation wall every day of my life my last three years of school i passed watching it being built and i was in resistance i was in violent resistance as as it's called nowadays i was in the streets I was the one with the ones that to throw stones. I was with the ones that did everything possible to say no, no, don't separate, don't 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 do this. And in the second intifada, I yeah, <laughs> I it was a very hard period for me to witness the the lack of capability to reach my grandma. And it took me the frustration and the anger brought me more to the streets and it brought me more to believe that only violence could actually end this madness that I am going through because what else can stand against separation walls and weapons if I don't go out to the streets? What else? But then I graduated high school and I was one of the lucky police to study. And I decided to study psychology, and I thought this would be my way. I will do psychology. I'll, I'll be in Palestine, and I'll, I'll work on a trauma, and I'll do this field. Until almost 2014, I happened to be asked to translate in a nonviolent communication conference. It was held by a community community. Of Israelis and Palestinians in a sea area called Almog and uh, I was replacing a friend and through this nine days of nonviolent communication training I got to witness people that went through enormous pain and suffering like Sulil Khatib the co-founder of uh, the combatants and listening to his story, listening to other Israeli stories. And I stood there and I thought, wow, I, I was also married to an East Jerusalemite man and had Aram who has the blue ID and I have the green ID, which means we cannot be free nowhere. I don't experience any kind of daily life with Aram. I don't get to go to her school. She leaves at 4 a.m. from Azaria to Beit Hanina every day because settlers blocks the roads. And back then in Ekumi, I looked at myself and I thought, there must be another way. If they are saying there is another way, then there must be another way. So I left my job, I left my life, and I held the Ekumi. My brother is married now to a Jewish beautiful lady. Hmm. With a son, Shaheen. And a few months ago, they decided to move to Germany because they couldn't make it in the land. Israel said no to him, and she couldn't stay on this side. We have Shaheen. He's three years old. And I keep saying we lost them to Germany. 
And it is the reason to why I am here. Ecomi became my vision. I saw the possibility of living together and falling in love together and talking. And that, yeah, separation walls and its checkpoints were the dumbest strategies in meeting needs of safety and home. And our conflict lays on the strategies, not on the needs. Never on the needs of safety and home and freedom and justice. It is on the strategies that we was chosen to, yeah, to meet these needs. Yeah. And it is what we're witnessing now in Gaza, in the West Bank. It is the, the reason, these strategies are the reason, never the need. So, yeah, I joined this field to hopefully make a difference and say we can and we will. Thank you, Yael. What, what, what has been your journey? Um, I think I'm a typical uh, Israeli. Um, I went through a typical Israeli uh, system and way of thinking. Both of my parents are Holocaust survivors. So I grew up in a very Zionist uh, family. From a young age, I knew that I'm going to join the army and do my best to defend my country and defend my people. So we will not uh, be uh, again in a situation where we cannot uh, defend ourselves. So I volunteered to uh, to a combat uh, unit, to uh, the paratroopers. And when I was uh, two years in the army, the first uh, Lebanon war started in 1982. And uh, then uh, during that war, I uh, realized that many of the people who are fighting against me are young Palestinians at the age of 15, 16. And I started thinking, what kind of enemy am I fighting the entire Israeli army against the youth and children? Uh, this uh, overpower, this huge power that we are using to, to solve a problem uh, between Palestinians and Lebanon and, and Israel, something is not quite the way I was educated. Uh, it took me more years to um, say, uh, uh, think more deeply about uh, the, the narrative that uh, the Israelis are holding and to get to know more and more the narrative of the Palestinians. Uh, it was only about uh, six years ago that uh, I started actually meeting Palestinians in the West Bank um, as a part of a tour that uh, Combatants for Peace uh, were, were doing. And to see the enemy as a human being that, that has actually the same wishes like yourself actually changed the way I, I am... I see the situation, and I, I realize that my narrative as, a, as an Israeli, as a Jew in Israel, uh, does not have to be replaced with another narrative. We will not, uh, and I don't expect the Palestinians to accept my narrative, and I'm not going to accept their narratives, but it's necessary for each side to see that the other side has also his history. Both of our people, the Palestinians and the Jewish Israeli population, are traumatized population. The Jews because of the horrors of the Holocaust and the Palestinians because of the Nakba from 1948. And as long as each side is just uh, stuck in his own suffering, in his own history, and is not willing to see and to show any sympathy and empathy to the suffer of the other side, we are going to continue in this endless circle of, of violence and, and killing. So actually it's the, it's the physical, it's the direct contact to people on the other side that made for me the change between theory, believing that this is a conflict that can be solved and actually becoming an activist that is doing 
what I think is the right thing and the only way to try to shape a better future for our children and the next generations. Mm-hmm. So how are each of you seen and taken, accepted or not by um, your society, especially now with um, the horrors that are going on both in Gaza and in the West Bank and also inside Israel? Um, my, is that a, is that a struggle for you or are you accepted, um, as, as who you are? Um, you know, I must say part of the narrative is uh, propaganda. <laughs> in here, us Palestinians, even Muslims, in, in our shared narrative in history, we live together. There was Jewish on this land all along. It is not true that Jewish only immigrated to the land. Jewish were also in the land. They were neighboring. There was not in our history this conflict actually happening between Muslims and Jewish. We're, and so to me, and, and yeah, there is this uh, normalization, reputation, there is the risk But because certain people have disbelieved that what I am doing is normalizing uh, with the with Israelis. And at the same time, now recently, it is actually changing. Now, in here, at least in the West Bank and around me, people are thirsty. They're saying, Khalas, we are done. We can live together. It is the government's. People are all the time sharing stories before the separation wall. I, in the first intifada, the friends of my father, were actually from Ma'ali Adumim settlement. And they drove to Izariya and they brought food to the people in Izariya in the first intifada. They were against what was happening already back then. And there is now more thirst for people saying, thank you for doing what, we're, what you're doing, or even saying what happened on the 7th May of abuse and uh, a, a kidnapping of elderly and women and children. It is not who we are. Tell them it's not who we are. We disagree. And this is the true voice. This is actually the voice that is being silenced even through media. If you go to my Facebook, I only post around peace and peace activism, shared voices, uh, and still my content is all the time hidden. It's all the time hidden. I bring the voices of my family. It's hidden. It, in every platform, it is hidden, but this voice, is it there? Yes, it is. For the past 30 years in the West Bank, there, was no, there is no Hamas. We've been waiting for this deal. We've been waiting for this peace process to actually take a place, and it didn't take a place, but people were longing for it. It is actually, even in Gaza now, if you give the voices to people, to the civilians, they will say, Khalas, we are done from both governments. We're sick of both governments because they are not seeking us. They are not seeking us. They are seeking their own. And now it is being realized. And my voice and your ear voice coming together today, I believe it is one of the most needed voices to be heard of saying, you know what? Yes, we acknowledge the narrative. And yes, we condemn, we condemn all the killing that came in the narrative and is happening today. And yes, we have to change the governments. We have to say no more, no more to these governments and to choose each other. And this is the voice. This is, this is the voice that also must be actually heard, even if there is other voices that says no. It is normal that people will say no. There is not one country in the world where everybody is agreeing. Does it mean that it is not possible? No, it is actually possible. It is the human voice. It is what people need to be free, to live in, to witness justice, to wake up knowing we, we're going to wake up. For, for Gaza, for ceasefire, for the hostages, for the kids that are witnessing all this blood shield in their childhood. These are the voices. And even if it's hard and some people disagree, and yes, we get attacked. And I was telling some of my friends, I said, now the, 
BDS is a bit busy <laughs> because of everything happening. Wait until they figure out, you know, what uh, all these Zooms that we did. But still, if we want a change, this is the change. Could we be the price? Of course, look at the, all of the historical narrative of freedom fighters. There is always a price. Am I willing? I am willing. Do I know? I know. And if it takes takes this road, it will take this road. It's a, it is the most it's the most necessary voice to say we can live together. We will live together. We can fall in love with each other. We can restart again and actually be a source of healing to each other. Because if there is anyone that understands Jewish, it's me. It's me. We are literally cousins. We are literally cousins. And it's so sad to see the division that happened, convincing us that it's for each other's safety, that we are each other's enemies. We were never each other's enemies. We became, some of us are. But slowly, slowly, you know, slowly, slowly. We can do it. We need to stand up. We need to be in the streets. Thank you to everybody in the streets. Thank you to all those voices that are saying, we hear both of you. We're going to bring both of you together. We are done. Now we see, now we witness. And yes, there is a trauma, but we have so many beautiful psychologists, you know. If we meet, we heal. Yeah. Only when we meet, only when we meet, will we both sleep safe. Only when we meet will our kids dream and play in front of our eyes. Only when we meet. Ah, thank you again, Yair. It's uh, it's been uh, it's been hard to to remain an optimist uh, ever since I remember myself uh, talking about the chances to to end the the conflict. Uh, after uh, October 7th, uh, it's uh, it, there is there is a a change in the uh, in the way many Israelis uh, see the situation. The first uh, reaction was a shock and a big. Uh, feeling or a strong feeling of revenge and we see now the results of this uh, attitude in what is going on in uh, Gaza with uh, I don't know how many thousands of uh, people that uh, that were killed uh, probably the major the vast majority of them do not belong to Hamas they are civilians who were caught uh, on the Israeli fire. Um, and I think, I hope that as time passes, and I, I, I feel that it starts to, uh, we start to get into this uh, direction where more and people, more and more people are saying, okay, so what's next? You, Israel army, Israel uh, forces, are hitting the Palestinian population in Gaza in enormous uh, power, causing huge number of uh, death. And then what? What is the next uh, step? What is the strategy? And I feel even if I listen to the politicians on the Israeli side, which I don't do much, I start to see that the understanding that uh, killing more and more Palestinians in Gaza is not a strategy, is not something that will bring end and will not prevent the next uh, circle and the next round of, of killing each other. So many times when I tell this to, to friends or family, they say, you are naive. How can you talk like this after what happened in seven, a month ago? So I, I, uh, I need to take maybe a step back because now is really a, is really a time where people are not, are not listening 
but it's not that I've changed my mind. It's not that I think that the whole idea of, of, of trying to find a way to end this conflict is, uh, is lost. There is a way. It's people who, who, who uh, started the conflict. It's people who maintain the conflict. And it's also people that will end the conflict. It's not something that is enforced on us from some sort of uh, magical power, not the beginning and not the end of this uh, conflict. So let me ask you and, and also say we do have a caller waiting and I ask you, David, to um, hold on because I really need to follow up on that. Um, so just talking from my personal ex- experience currently, um, I mean, I've been a peace activist in Israel since I was 14. Um, and I've written two pieces, both of them really talking about peace and the need for peace and how um, violence will just bring for more, to more violence and um, so on. And of course, I've been doing radio shows about that. And I've been getting a a lot of response from Israelis and Jews, including people in my own family, um, calling me not naive, <laughs> calling me um, a self-hating Jew, a traitor, um, and the latest is Nazi. I am Nazi because um, I I would like to. St- to, to not see any more babies murdered, right? So that's very difficult. On the other hand, um, I've been going to the demonstrations that are calling for ceasefire. And most of what I hear there is not request for ceasefire, but uh, calls for the destruction of Israel. So it's been very difficult. I woke up actually quite um, desperate and, and depressed this morning. Um, and, and everything I've heard from you too has been so, um, so good for my soul, but, um, what, how, how do you, it sounds like maybe you are not dealing with extreme situations like that right now, but how do you deal with um, the feeling that no one hears you, really? I mean, that when you talk about peace, if you're an Israeli, they think that what they tell you is that you support Hamas, even if you have um, made it clear that you are not. And I imagine <laughs> if you are a Palestinian and you talk about peace, there's, there are those who think that you support the Israeli massacre in Gaza. So... Um, who of you would like to answer that? My, I would say, you know, I was asked this question, I think, on the 9th. Somebody said, like, how are you? Like, how will you stand? We didn't even start and look at all of this uh, anti-Semitism now. Uh, if you say, as a peace activist, if you say now anything about Palestine, everybody is going to ask you, so what about Israelis and Jewish? And if you post anything about the hostages, they're going to say, what about the prisoners? And, yeah, it is hard. It is. And it is very painful. And it reminds me, you know, a lot of Jesus, actually, when he walked out of Nazareth. He, one of his most famous verses or saying, he said, one's worst enemy is his own. And unfortunately, at such moments, sometimes it could feel like this to each other, that we are becoming each other enemies because we are saying something that sounds different. But what we are saying is not different. And I think this is what we need to to say to them. I am speaking of your peace as well, your own liberation, your own safety as well. If I, as a Palestinian, I am free tomorrow, you are free tomorrow as well. If I am sleeping safe, why do you think I will get up in the morning wanting to do any violence? If I have a way to choose, to have dignity, to dream, 
to work, to education, to sit with my family, to travel around. Why would I wake up in the morning thinking of even any, any bad thought around anyone? We are just like any other humans on earth. We are very human, as human as everyone else. And yes, we have resistance. It is also within our human. We want justice, we want the freedom, we want liberation, and we must, we must, we must actually fight for it. It's for both of us. And I say, you know, some people will be warriors, and these are the people we must keep around us. And some people will sit around. These are our families, maybe our community, and it's okay. It will actually affect them. There is no way, no way we would say something that is human that will not touch them, even if anger will come out. And I believe they are now speaking of anger and frustration. I don't think even if you sit really with them in a moment where it's of connection, this will be really what people will ask for, revenge and killing each other. It's not our nature, but there is, there is a frustration and sadness and, it, and a trauma like Yair said, and the narrative that is so scary and a narrative that I never wish for it to be repeated. And the seventh acted like, yeah, oh my gosh, the possibility is actually there and it's so close to my house and it actually did get into my house. And yeah, I hear a frustration and sadness and broken souls, of course. This is why Japanese say we must mend the soul, the souls with the most expensive of everything, which is gold. Because when a soul is broken, how do you mend but by the most and the deepest of love and healing? And this is what we need to say to our families. I hear you, Mama. I hear you want our safety. I hear that you want a home. I hear that the seventh broke your heart, but I also hear you as a human. And I want you to hear me as a human that says, please, again, one more dinner. Again, one more phone call. One more try now in the midst of war. Actually, now, now is the most important. Now is not the time to sit. Now is the time to say, no, let me hug you in the middle of your frustration and say, I hear you. You lost the friends, they were dancing and you lost them. How could we lose our people and not lose our minds? How could I witness Gaza and the West Bank and the hostages and what happened and not lose my mind? I lose my mind, but I don't lose my heart. I am allowed to lose my mind, but not to lose my heart. Anger is ahlan wa sahlan, as we say. But no, to hug it through and to say, I hear you. Yes, I hear you. But if you sit, if you listen, it will not be repeated. It will not be repeated. It's the only way. It's the only way. What do you think will happen to the kids in Gaza that were left with no families? What do you think will happen to them if we love them again? What do you think will happen in the West Bank if it continues to witness what it's witnessing? What I personally lost it, 21 friends, not family friends. It's, uh, yeah, I lose my mind, but I don't lose my heart. I'm still willing to meet and say, I'll meet you and I will meet you and I will meet you and I will meet you until, until you will meet with me. And I will believe for both of us. If you cannot believe at this moment, I'll believe. I'll believe for all of us. <laughs> You're a good therapist, my. You've been my therapist right now. Um, Yair. The people that listen on the radio, they can't see your faces, but I can see your faces. You can see me crying. <laughs> yes. Um, it's, it's hard not to lose hope, uh, but each time we in Combatants for Peace meet our Palestinian friends, this is what is giving us hope, and this is what is giving us the strength to continue. Because all the time we hear that we have no partner, that we talk to ourselves, that we convince ourselves 
and that there is no partner for peace on the other side and the Palestinian side. So each time when we meet a Palestinian and we see that there is exactly the same wish for life and stop the killing and getting up in the morning and hugging your family and uh, having uh, the next meal together without being afraid that somebody is going to kill you either from attacking your home or from an airstrike from a, the uh, airplane. This is what is giving us hope uh, in the mid in the midst of this uh, horror that we are experiencing uh, right now. Yes, it's not easy, but it is possible. Well, thank you. Thank you both. We do have um, caller David. If more of you want to uh, join us, there's not a whole lot of time. Uh, the number here today is different, 608-467-5627. And hello, David. Oh, thank you, Esty. I'm, I'm uh, yeah, sure, uh, you know, brought to tears, too. Uh, this incident has uh, really been, uh, I, I, I was wondering if uh, your guests are familiar with Jared Kushner's, um, he was supposed to be the czar for Middle East peace under Donald Trump. And, uh I, in 2019, there's a United Nations Conference on Trade and Development, and if you were to go to their website, unctad.org, uh, and then look for the 28th of August of 2019, there's a kind of a positive uh, article that says that the Palestinians uh, can be uh, brought out of poverty by drilling for oil underneath Gaza, and that there's a vast amount of oil underneath Gaza and offshore, uh, a lot of fracking potential out there. And um, I'm just wondering whether this is the factor uh, that is driving the uh, murderous... If you can imagine... Um, you know, here in America, we've had Indian reservations, and every once in a while, there's a discovery underneath those reservations of uranium or gold or something like that, and then all of a sudden, the Indians are driven off the reservation. I suspect that's really what's going on. And yeah. to make it worse, when you think just a couple of months ago, Donald Trump lost his business license in the whole state of New York. Uh, he's got to be wanting to hide his money uh, or reinvest somewhere. And I'm wondering if he and Jared Kushner are more involved, drive everybody out of Gaza, and he'll plunge every last penny he's got over into Gaza. Yeah. David, um, thank you. And we're actually going to have a show specifically about that. But, uh, yeah, let's hear what our, what our guests have to say. Um, and I should reintroduce you quickly. We have with us two members of combatants for peace. We have Mai Shaheen, who is from um, East Jerusalem and the West Bank, and we have Yair Banzol from Israel. Where, where are you in Israel, Yair? I'm in a town in the north called Kiryativ On, between Haifa and Nazareth. Okay. So, uh, yeah, who of you would like to respond to David? I will try to respond. Uh, there, there are lots of uh, possibilities and lots of uh, theories. Uh, I cannot uh, uh, argue with the theory that there is a lot of oil underneath the, the area of uh, of Gaza. I, I, I usually think that the explanations are more simple and we don't have to look, uh, you know, in all kinds of uh, theories that, that have at the moment have no, no uh, proof in them. I think it's 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 a conflict that is going on between these two populations for more than a hundred years, and uh, looking into the history of Gaza, how it was uh, created, how the population of Jaffa and and Ashdod, Isdud, and many other Palestinian towns and villages were wiped off the ground during the 1948 uh, war. Um, and and so on, how, how the whole situation developed uh, over there. So, so I think the explanation for what is going on there is, is more simple. And it's not so unique. There are so many conflicts 
uh, around the world, uh, which which uh, merge and combined history, ethnical problems, religious problems, and they were solved. Many of them were solved uh, one day. Usually, it was a surprise. So we never know what will uh, bring to the end of uh, this uh, conflict. But raising the voice that the solution is there somewhere in the future and let's not wait for another circle and let's not wait another 10 or 20 years before we sit down talk to each other meet the other one see that he's human he's not a, a monster even if there are among the other side people who behave in a way that is a shame to humanity it doesn't mean that all the other all the population on the other side are all monsters dehuman dehumanizing the the enemy is the oldest trick in the in the book of uh, politicians make the 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 other person a, a demon and and the conflict will continue yeah my did you want to add anything no okay mm. Well, let me ask then the two of you, we have uh, only about 12 minutes left and uh, we've been talking a lot about Gaza here and, and in previous shows, um, but you might um, live in the West Bank basically and here you've been working with shepherds in the West Bank and of course there's, um, there's a lot of violence going on there right now. So Mai, um, if you want to tell us what your life looks like and um, what you're seeing happening and then we'll hear the same from Yair again. Yeah, here in the West Bank, uh, of course, already prior to the 7th of October, we've been experiencing a lot of violence from settlers and extension of settlements everywhere. And since the October 7th, uh, as, we, as you also saw in the news, you know, most of the settlers were given the green line for women. Uh, I personally lost a friend in Kusra village in Nablus. He was killed by settlers. And during his funeral, his uncle and his cousin also was killed. They attacked the funeral. My daughter commutes to school at 4 a.m. in the morning. Her school is in Beit Hanina, which is with no separation wall, less than 10 minutes from where we live. Uh, if she doesn't leave at 4, it means she can only leave at 8.30 because uh, we are not allowed to drive on the roads. Only after settlers are out to their work and their schools, they open the roads for us. Mm. So we have to send our kids at 4. It is extremely dangerous. Uh, many days we choose not to, not to send them. Uh, here in Azaria, five young Palestinians were killed three days ago. Of course, all of them under Daesh Hamas, none of them, like I think one of them maybe was um, a, in violent resistance, but most of the young Palestinians are, that are getting killed and arrested are because they're throwing stones, shoot, throwing stones on the military or being out in the streets, you know, causing, uh, causing a mess, but they get shot, they get killed. Uh, and it's getting more and more extreme. Uh, many of the Bedouin communities were displaced because of the settlers' invasion and shooting. And yeah, it's uh, it's only witnessing more and more uprising. In Janine, uh, in Janine, there is even they're even bombing the camps in Janine. Nablus, it's witnessing invasion every day. Today in Hebron, the same thing. It's everywhere, everywhere in the West Bank. But the news is also silent about it. And it is crazy because you look at it and you can only think it's going to get worse. Because how long do you think the West Bank will really be silent? How long do you think people will just sit at home 
and be scared to leave and be scared for their children to go to school and be scared for their women to be kidnapped because they are throwing flyers everywhere, threatening to kidnap kids surprisingly, to kidnap women surprisingly, to kill, to surprise us in the early morning, just like the 7th. And it is really crazy and there is not really any actions really taking uh, against it and most of most of the time settlers are being protected by mi military and uh, it is it is insane and it must actually it must it must stab it must stab it is really what is happening now is so inhuman every day every minute we open the phone it's like somebody is is dying now as we are talking here in Azaria there is a mess going, you know, gas, shooting all the time. We don't open our windows. From the right, we have the separation wall and military. From the left, Ma'ali Adumim settlement, full of settlers, Mishor Adumim, and it's extremely violent. So most of our men are not leaving. Nobody is leaving nowhere. We cannot even recruit to other cities within the West Bank. It is dangerous. Uh, we had to meet in Bejala last week and we were stopped on the checkpoint very harshly. Phones are searched, they scream at you, telling you it is Israel, not Palestine. Uh, yeah, it's never been this bad, I must say. This is the first time, even through the first and second intifada, it has never been this violent. It has never been with such amount of like killing and displacement and in yeah very the situation is really dangerous and we are living one moment at, at like not even yeah not even that i talk to you and i keep all my messages open i'm scared my mm -hmm. cousins my family my friends i keep it for the school it's like we don't you don't sleep we're not really like yeah, we're not well. We're not well because what you witness makes you believe that wow, we are really unwell in what is happening. It's so inhuman what is taking place now. And the silence is even more painful. Yeah. Even more painful. Yeah. So, Yael, um, of course, I want to hear about your experience with, with shepherds there in the West Bank and what you have seen and what you are seeing. But I also just want to throw at you um, this thought that I had, that um, the, the a, one big slogan of the settlers is the same one that I hear now in demonstrations by Palestinians, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, right? And it's exactly the, the exact same slogan as the settlers uh, have been using for many years now, except it's Israel rather than Palestine. So if you want to comment on that too. And we have... Less than five minutes left. So the comparison between the slogans on both sides is uh, is correct. I can give you another comparison. Uh, the Israeli society, the Israeli parliament, the Israeli government is taken hostage by the extremists of the uh, the Jewish uh, fanatics, just like the Hamas took hostages of the Palestinian population in Gaza and holding them as a hostage in the war against Israel. So as long as populations let group of extremists uh, set the agenda, rule, have the weapon, there will be bloodshed going on forever. Once the majority will, and it's, it's easier to say than it is to do, especially if you don't live in a democracy or pseudo-democracy as Israel is, but it is necessary to understand, first of all, that, uh, that uh, uh, fanatics are the ones who are who are leading this uh, war on both sides, and it's not the majority of the population, whether on the Jewish nor on the Palestinian side, that wish to kill the other one and have the entire land for themselves. So this is in 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 respect to this uh, comparison. Regarding the situation in the Jordan Valley, Jordan Valley is almost empty of population. It's not like East Jerusalem. It's not like Hebron. It's not like the uh, places uh, 
in the West Bank where there is a lot of population, a Palestinian population very close to settler population. It's almost empty areas, the Jordan Valley. Nevertheless, a very small group of settlers, even among the settlers, it's not that everybody wants to drive out all the shepherds from the Jordan Valley. There are quite a lot of settlers, which I disagree, of course, with their being there, but they are not sharing this violence in order to push the, the Palestinian shepherds from their territories. But it is during this situation that they can allow themselves to do things that a month ago they would a little bit hesitate. And the army would be a little bit, at least for the uh, 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 pause or the, the facade of keeping a democracy and keeping human rights would not support activities against the, against the Palestinian shepherds, at least to, to have a face of, of keeping uh, human rights. And ever since 7th October, all these uh, facades, all these pseudo uh, uh, steps to, to keep some sort of uh, human right uh, protection is gone. So what we do, we are uh, all volunteers. None of us is getting paid. And we are holding shifts 24-7 for a month now to try and be with the shepherds so the settlers are not coming to their homes, uh, beating them and telling them that they have 24 hours to leave their homes unless otherwise they would be shot and killed by the settlers. And this is happening, happened, and few Palestinian shepherd families had already left their homes because of these threats. And strange, we are, the number of, of uh, uh, volunteers who are joining us is increasing. In the last week, we got mm. more than 10, 12 new members that are willing to come right now, drive into the West Bank and be there at the homes of the shepherds, of the Palestinian shepherds, to protect them against the violence of the settlers. So huh. what we hear in the media and what we see in demonstrations and things that you were quoting, they are all correct. But the other side is not so known. It exists just like May had just uh, said. We are being silent. We don't get uh, coverage, but it's there. And I believe that this, uh, this uh, attitude is also need to be considered and need to be heard. Yes. So thank you for giving us the opportunity to bring this voice. To and you. thank you, um, the two of you, so much for joining us today again on Friday evening. I really appreciate the conversation. I wish we had another hour or two to continue it, but uh, maybe we will another time. Yair Banzel and May Shaheen, thank you so thank much you. for joining us, members of Combatants for Peace. Thank you. Thank you so much. Keep up hope. We will do it. Okay. Shukran. Thank you very much. And, and thank you to Summer and Jade and Shelly. I'm Esti Dinur. Bye-bye.